Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? How you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm uh, getting a, a little sad about how many Nazi apologists we have in Canada, but uh, I guess that's nothing new. So, you know, getting sad about the weather. <laughs> Listen, I just like every, every once in a while, there's like something in the news or something that happens that really makes me feel like I got into some sort of terrible accident years ago and I'm like lying in a coma somewhere in some <laughs> hospital, like just imagining the worst possible outcome for humanity. And um, yeah, this is, this is one of those things. Like, how is this possibly real? It has got to be my imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's because Canada is fake and sucks ass. <laughs> yeah, it is fake. Uh, yeah, that sucks. I mean, my my doing my week has been great. I mean, I'm back from our Jamaica office and uh, am now, you know, in the throes of, of what we Capodistas call batizado season or it just ended, um, which is like this great big festival and it was a lot of fun and uh, I'm you know, feeling, feeling a lot of love and energy and excitement around, you know, physical activity. So that's good. Wow. That's so great. That's so great. I, uh, I, I you know, I'm not, but, um, <laughs> but maybe something will happen to soccer tonight. That'll be a surprise. I don't know. All right. Well, good luck. Before we <laughs> get into all of the things that we're talking about this week, I know that we have some people to thank and, uh, some announcements to make. So let's, do that. Yes, absolutely. So thank you everybody for sharing last week's episode. A lot of action around the episode actually. So like we saw it get shared quite a lot, which is cool. And I hope folks are enjoying that I'm dropping some of the daily news episodes onto Instagram. This is a new thing for me and it's not that hard. So I'm happy to do that. Uh, Thanks, especially though, to everybody who donated to the podcast or changed their donation in the last week, specifically Sherry, Shauna, and James. You folks are awesome. And we couldn't do this podcast without you or the hundreds of others who financially support us or the thousands of others who just like it, (laughs) like us. (laughs) Thank you. And once again, a reminder that our live show is coming up fast approaching. It is going to be in the second weekend of October. So gosh, I'm going to be back coming to Toronto in uh, just over a week. And I'm excited to see you all there. And I know Nora is too. If you haven't got your tickets, we're, the tickets are selling quite well. So uh, I, I would say now, as a, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, like now's the time. Get, get your tickets um, <laughs> because it's, it's going to start to become harder to get them. And you can get those tickets at a website that Nora's about to say. <laughs> The point of sale, the point of sale.com, the point of sale.com, and uh, just search Sandy and Nora. The show starts at four o'clock, people. So, like, bring your kids and your parents. Uh, there's no late problems going on here. And I've had a couple of people say, like, can I still get to this concert that I want to get to on Saturday night? The answer is you can. So, it's a four o'clock show. It's going to be lots of fun. And we are still working on that after party. The details will be announced at some point. Um, but uh, just finding a place that can accommodate some number of people <laughs> without booking it out privately has been a little bit tricky. But it'll be close to the, the theater. It'll be in Roncesvalles in Toronto. 
And don't forget, there's also going to be a live musical portion of this show. You will be able to see John Camille Farah, who does uh, our our theme music, will also be there to to perform, and that's going to be a real treat for for me and y'all. So uh, yeah, be be a part of that. Uh, join us, pointofsale.com. Totally. Uh, and again, November 24th, uh, we haven't started advertising this one yet, but we will once we get those details nailed down. But Winnipeg, we are coming for you. So that is also going to be, that's going to be awesome, Sandy. November, Winnipeg. Is there any two better words? Did you just say Winnipeg, we are coming for you? We are. We are coming to you. We're not coming for you, Winnipeg. <laughs> We're... I'm coming for some Winnipeg. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> Nora's coming for you, but I'm just coming to you. So there we go. Well, and Sandy, when we get there, are we going to be in a conservative hellhole or an NDP landscape? Oh, what's going on with the election? Oh, my God. Can you believe the PC party actually advertising? One of, one of the, the, the great things of why you should vote for them is that they are not going to search the landfill uh, for the uh, indigenous women who were found to, to, to be there that, you know, the government has been, I mean, we've spoken about this before that police and the government have been saying, Oh, it's too expensive to search. It's not feasible to search, blah, blah, blah. They are actually advertising this as a reason why uh, uh, people in Manitoba should vote for them, which is just so sick. It's like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even recall something like this being something that someone could uh, promise in an election. Like, uh, we are we're not going to go forward with, the, you know, like this investigation, doing the right thing, making sure that these families um, uh, have some 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 closure here or do what we would do for. Uh, anyone who's in the majority white population, uh, putting that on a fucking billboard, being proud of it, and then having other racists be like, cool, this is really excellent. We'll vote for that. I just, what a really ugly thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So definitely big uh, fuck you to Heather Stephenson, who's the leader of the Conservative Party. This is the first time she has been running because, of course, she took over from Brian Pallister, who resigned so that he can live in Costa Rica full time rather than pretending that he's in Manitoba more than he was. And um, and yeah, this level of racism. I mean, there's a lot of people who've expressed surprise online, um, but it's, uh, you know, also not super surprising. That's kind of woven into the brand of the conservative parties across the provinces, whether that is the Manitoba Conservative Party, the Progressive Conservative Party, or the Sask Party, or, you know, the uh, the UCP in Alberta. Sandy, it looks, though, like um, the conservatives might lose. Well, I mean, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if you if you go to 338canada.com, that's PJ Fournier's poll tracking website, his uh, his calls are pretty good. I mean, he's got uh, a formula for how he weights different polls, and some polls are better than others, and he puts that into account in how he weights his polls. The vote is today. We're recording this yesterday. So today is Election Day in Manitoba, and um, if you haven't yet voted, I mean, make sure you do vote. Like, voting sucks, but it's like, just do it. But he's projecting a... Uh, 74% chance that the NDP is going to win the most seats 
in today's election. Wow. So that's exciting. I'm sure that there will be some partying happening in different locations across the province. And uh, if that happens, I mean, Wab Kanu as premier. That seems pretty uh, interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, fuck, I, that's great. And I hope that happens because, I mean, the way that the, the Manitoba uh, PC party has been advertising what they're all about is like all all the worst stuff that has been that, I mean, has taken us uh, on, you know, what we talk about in the last few weeks. I mean, they're, they've been uh, not only say, saying this really heinous stuff about um, you know, committing to not searching the landfill, but they they're also um, wading into the the parental rights uh, stuff that we see happening uh, across Canada, um, which is really just uh, trans hate um, because parental rights aren't a thing. Trans hate and uh, you know the belief that children don't have rights, in addition to uh, the tried and tested and true tackling of crime um, bullshit uh, that we see in every every uh, election from every political stripe, every party um, that that just uh, you know has has no actual plan to do any sort of. Uh, prevention of violence issue, but, you know, they will uh, tackle crime, quote unquote, by giving more and more money to police. So uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, you don't need that. No. I don't know. I said Winnipeg. Because we're going to Winnipeg. Because we're we're going going to Winnipeg. Winnipeg, And I'm thinking about Winnipeg and I'm staring at my calendar and it says Sandy and Nora in Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) And sorry, Brandon. Uh, Sometimes we just think of Winnipeg. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, lots of terrible luck uh, to you, <laughs> Heather Stevenson, and uh, lots of, uh, you know, uh, feelings and vibes to the rest of you in Manitoba that, uh, you know, it, this goes in a better way than a worse way. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into the main topic of today, Sandy, did you see the news out of the northwest of Toronto? More people are joining in the rent strikes. I did see that. I did see that. The article that I read yesterday states that about 500 people are now on rent strike. Is that is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So in addition to two locations um, that are on uh, King Street West and John Streets in Weston, not downtown Toronto, um, those folks have been on rent strike since June, but now there are folks at two Lawrence Avenue West apartment blocks that are also going on rent strike. And they are protesting the owner's decision to seek an above allowable rent increase. So going higher than what they're supposed to be allowed to ask for rent increases by claiming that the building needs more work and they need more money to do that work. And so that is legal in the province of Ontario, though you can challenge it. And uh, through the York Southwestern Tenants Union, folks are challenging it, but the rent strike is suggesting that they see this as their best option to fight back. Yeah, this is really fantastic. And also, you know, as as we're thinking about um, the ways that people on the ground are taking action, uh, we should also be thinking about the ways that the government is not. And so a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how the government was like giving a tax break to developers, blah, 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 stuff that won't help people who are struggling right now. And again, the government, whether we're talking about federal or provincial, they have or municipal, they all have tools that they could be using 
using to help people right now. And it's these sorts of actions that force um, eyeballs onto the issue and force people to listen. And that directly confronts um, the people who have the power to change the situation. Well, it's these sorts of actions that are going to end up making the difference. That's my prediction. Mm hmm. Yes, and knocking around the Barney River Investment Company, who is a group that um, that founded Amica, which is a series of long-term care facilities and retirement residences across, I think across Canada, but certainly across Ontario. And Amica residences were sold in 2015 for more than $500 million to the Ontario Teacher Pension Plan. So, reminder that capitalism is a big, disgusting net, and sometimes workers find themselves very much entwined in that net. But all power to the folks who are on rent strike fighting against this company and the other folks who've been on rent strike since June. All right. So now we're getting into our main topic for today, which, I mean, is a bit of a continuation from last week's episode, but... Uh, if you were paying attention last week and were paying attention after, we were recording just before uh, the government was, uh, was uh, I mean, uh, folks were getting together in the House to discuss um, what was going to happen post-huge Nazi celebration gaffe. And as we sort of, uh, as we discussed, would probably happen uh, during the last episode, the Speaker of the House has since resigned. Um, there's been a lot of uh, statements on this side and the other. We alluded to how Justin Trudeau's statement seemed like a, a really weird pivot to trying to blame what happened on Russia. And now a week later, it's like, oh my God, um, that pivot was certainly a sign of things to come. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, let's talk about what is going on, because on one hand, we can look at all of this. Oh, the Nazis, like there was nuance in Ukraine and they were actually also fighting against Russia. And we have to understand the historical time and all this kind of stuff. It, you know, we can see that as just being um, a bunch of people who probably have some level of fidelity to the government and don't want to see the government falling over this issue trying to make sense of, of the story and, and relying on the fact that, sure, yeah, life is a little bit complicated sometimes and times of war, you know, definitely included. But that's not actually what's happening. There's something much more important that's happening for us to understand why the rehabilitation of Nazis is so important in Canada and not just Canada. I mean, today a piece came out in Politico that basically does uh, Holocaust revisionism, trying to explain how this is just complicated. And so here I think is a really good example that sums all of this stuff up. And it comes from Andrew Coyne. So Andrew Coyne, of course, is a center-right columnist. He's the son of the former governor of the Bank of Canada. His cousin is like Justin Trudeau's aunt or something, um, married Pierre Trudeau Sr. I mean, this guy is like, you know, of the elites in the establishment in Canada. And he posted this on Twitter. The people who are most outraged by the Hunka affair are the far right, for whom the hurt and humiliation it inflicted on Jews and others is mostly noteworthy as an opportunity to complain about how unfair it is of people to call them far right. So, Sandy, what do you think of that? The people who are most outraged by the Hunka affair are the far right. What is Coin doing here? 
Sorry, as as you were saying that, my brain started to hurt to try to understand how <laughs> one could make that, like, could come to that conclusion. Like, I, I that's really outrageous to try to, I mean, saying that, what that does is it gives a... Um, a signal to people who do not want to affiliate themselves with the uh, with the alt right, which should be you know any decent person. It gives a signal to those people that in fact you shouldn't be that upset about um, uh, about Hanka being applauded in the house. You shouldn't be that upset about the Nazis uh, being applauded in the house because the alt right is really upset about it. And so if you want to be distinguished from the alt-right, then, of course, that's something you shouldn't be that upset about. That, of course, maybe there's another way to understand it. And that's, I mean, my brain is really hurting even trying to spell that out, to explain it, because it seems, again, like something that is impossible to be said, like, in, in the mainstream. Yeah, no, exactly. And there's been a lot of good stuff written trying to explain why that kind of reasoning is complete bollocks. Uh, anybody who subscribes to my Substack saw that I shared an interview between Moss Robeson and John Paul Hinka. John Paul Hinka is probably Canada's leading, if not one of Canada's leading historians on Ukraine. And he comes from a left wing background and so uh, is very critical of um, any of the footsies that's been played with the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, with the far right and with fascism and explains where all of this comes from in a way that isn't, oh, it's so complicated and some people just became Nazis. You know, it's easy to forget that 4.5 million Ukrainians joined the Red Army and five against Hitler and the Nazis. And we're talking about 80,000 or so who formed uh, this division of the SS in 1943 to fight uh, for Germany. And there's a whole bunch of reasons, like, you know, uh, regional differences within Ukraine that explain why one part of the country might be more interested in, you know, fascist Germany than they were in communist Russia. But what I find so interesting is how this gets retold today, because, of course, unless you're a historian like Himka, you probably don't really care about hashing out what happened in 1943, 1944, 1945. You're probably much more interested in telling these stories to explain today. And I think that is where this is so interesting, is it's like, what is going on in liberalism it, it, in Canada, in the United States, in the world that is insisting on making Russia worse than the Nazis, which is basically what we got today in that political piece, is that uh, there's, there's nuance on why someone would have joined the SS in Ukraine in 1944, but what there is no nuance of is that the USSR and its uh, you know, child, the, uh, Russia, are unequivocally the most disgusting regime in, in the history of the world. <laughs> I mean... We've gotten to this really weird place where like up is down and left means right. And understanding why is just so, so important. Well, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, one place to start here too, like a, um, a, 
a tangentially related um, issue that is a major issue is how even I mean, we've discussed several times how history doesn't exist in the news, but this is like um, an, an issue for how history doesn't exist in our education system and like how um, easy it is to for for these sorts of things to to pass muster of editors and to get into the into mainstream media to be discussed uh, in this way, like this, tr- these truly ahistorical accounts of uh, World War II in in service of uh, some sort of Cold War propaganda of of the contemporary times, is only possible if people just like don't know about some of the most uh, important historical events of recent history, which is really quite stunning. Um, and so, you know, that's just something that I want to mention that's a part of this um, that we should be thinking about, which is how little time we just spend on on history altogether in our education system. Because this, I mean, God, this shouldn't be po- <laughs> this shouldn't mm-hmm. be possible. No, it shouldn't be possible. It's it's actually stunning. And and sure, we're two weeks out of it, and you know, there's other news to focus on, of course, but. I was reading one article that I saw, maybe it was in the National Post or somewhere else, I forget, but they're going through like how this scandal measures up against other scandals in the history of Canadian scandals. And the article is pretty much conclusive. Oh, CBC. They were saying like, "Ah, this actually is probably one of the biggest scandals, if not the biggest embarrassments, I would say, maybe not scandals, because of course, there's not really any financial implications in this. Um, So we, uh, you know, we've witnessed a historical moment. Congratulations, everybody. And... You know, for when when Justin Trudeau pivoted back to Russian disinformation, and it and it continues to be a line. I mean, there's people that accuse me of being a, a Putin propagandist, and and they accuse anyone who talks about any of the stuff of being a Putin propagandist. I mean, there's even people that believe that Anthony Rota, the former Speaker of the House, was being paid by Russia to deep six the entire Parliament, as if anybody listening to his introduction should have been like, "Wait a minute, I'm not clapping for this guy. What the hell are you talking about?" Anyway, um, but but you know. <laughs> When one piece that like went a little bit viral was a piece written by Justin Ling, who's a liberal, like hard, large L liberal power chasing kind of access journalist. And people really loved it because he went through like the complications between, you know, like some countries have to decide from their history. Do they celebrate this big moment, which was a communist moment or a moment of victory for the communist uh, party or for the Red Army or whatever? Or do they celebrate this moment of victory for their people who happen to be members of like, uh, you know, the SS? (laughs) And, you know, like this creation of the two poles of Nazism on one side and communism on the other other side has been happening for 30 years if if well more but the in its current manifestation has been happening for 30 years and and it's just been accelerated as liberalism has been uh, under attack so as the status quo of liberalism the, the 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 global order that maintains like western democracy uh is is in decline because the contradictions of western democracy which is we will give you some rights we will give you some services but we will also allow corporations to dominate the hell out of 
us, the contradictions between those two things uh, were okay. I mean, we, we managed for many, many decades, but they're coming to a head. They're, they're too contradictory for us to continue to get past. And so we're seeing things in decline like the healthcare system, the education system. And rather than allowing the population to say, wait a minute, maybe radical politics is, is, is what we need right now. Like, what would a communist solution look like to our healthcare system? Like radical democracy and, and, and the people being able to drive decisions and corporate profits completely removed of all of this and, you know, workplace democracy actually running communities or whatever. Uh, like, no way can we have that conversation. And so in, a, in an effort to, you know, over overcorrect or overrespond to the communist threat, which is always there because communism is a people's political tendency. It's it's a very normal and natural thing for people to want. Then you see this like, well, we we know that the gold standard for hatred are fascists and are Nazis. We know that the gold standard for atrocities was, you know, the Holocaust and what the Nazis did during the Holocaust. But we also know that Canada was complicit in a lot of these in these horrors. So how do we soften that, complicate it while maintaining that on these two sides of the extremes are horrors uh, that are unspeakable and the only enlightened location is the center. And every time I've heard Christia Freeland give a speech in the last couple of years, this is literally what she says, that the, the we are the shining beacon on the hill, Dem democracy, like she fucking literally uses those words. And the like left wing people have been calling it out and 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 out. And yet we still don't even have a single journalist who's who's questioned someone like Christian Freeland for how the hell did that happen last week? Yeah, it's really fascinating. You know, there I mean, there used to be like this this time. You remember with that law? What's it called? That law of like how you mentioned Nazis on the Internet. If you argue long enough. What's that called? Yeah, yeah, that law. You know that law. I forget. <laughs> and how it, it just yeah. meant that you like lost an argument. Oh, it just Goodwin's means, like, law it's the just end. came to me. Goodwin. Go Goodwin's law. It just means that like you you fucked up in arguing and like nothing makes sense anymore. You're you've you've gone to an extreme extreme. It's like it's just weird to be in a period in history where we are uh, so desperate to normalize fascism that that is no longer like <laughs> that's, that's no longer an extreme like we can now um like people can be taken seriously uh talking about uh fascism and nazism as though it is it is not one of the most horrendous manifestations of uh, of human cooperation ever, <laughs> you know, like I just, I, I am in ways like left speechless, but also not at the same time, because as you've, you, you know, so rightly pointed out, uh, the implications of this are beyond, um, the war itself. It's beyond like, uh, what, what Canada is in Canadian politics, the implications of this is actually to to have people uh, feel a, a commitment to um, a, a a political, economic, and social system that increasingly, obviously, no longer makes sense. Like we're all really struggling under it, and I mean the the broader implications of trying to normalize fascism, trying to normalize a system 
in which corporations are doing really great, GDPs can be growing, going up, and everyone around you is struggling, um, you know, economically and with their uh, their mental health and whatever else, and having people still feel like they need to fight for that system, like it, it's uh, it, it's it, it, it's a, a fant- it's it's a it's a fucking ridiculously effective strategy apparently because I just it's like uh, it's the decline of all things Nora it's the decline of all things that we can be literally sitting here talking about a world where it's like no there there's there's the the nuance on the Nazism conversation isn't gosh what (laughs) what is happening a lot of this makes me think of a session that I got to go to in St. Louis years and years ago, which was talking about the rise of fascism and how labor is supposed to or needs to intervene in it. And there were two panelists on this panel. One was the president of the United States Postal Workers, and he was talking about how his family fled the Holocaust. Some of them died in the Holocaust and how he sees the politics of Nazism as being at the core of something that he fights as a trade unionist. And what was really interesting, you know, everyone's like, yeah, oh, yeah, totally, totally, totally. That's great. And then the next person who was speaking was a guy called Rasheen Aldridge, who at the time was a Fight for 15 activist. I say at the time because he's since been elected several, several times. So he's now a a district state representative um, in uh, Missouri. And he was saying that, uh, you know, that's all that's all true and and important. But like, let's be clear, fascism has existed in North America uh, for for centuries. And we can't lose sight of the fact that fascism is basically how black people and indigenous people live under this is the system they live under in the United States specifically. I mean, we were talking in St. Louis, but of course, we can make very similar arguments in Canada. And I think that that is really at the um, at the fundamental level are like what we, we as Canadians refuse to actually talk about, refuse to talk about how not only is it fascism. Uh, in the most classic sense of the term, the differences in in relationship between the state and between black people and indigenous people, but then also how Canada was setting the direction in how to do certain things. Yeah. I mean, of course, like Canada's, like the way that Canada, uh, you know, contributed to the uh, the creation of South African apartheid through its uh, creation of the reservation system and the, um, uh, the, the way that the, uh, Indian Act was created and operated. Uh, like that is Canada setting the direction. The the way that uh, Canada, um, the what happened with Canada's relationship with Black people uh, post um, Emancipation Proclamation is is not uh, as as rosy as many people would think. And that again is part of Canada's um, setting of uh, of the terms of the way uh, that these things operate, the way that fascism operates and has operated um, around the world. Now, something that I also think is really interesting about this particular um, issue is that um, uh, liberal MPs have been asked not to speak about it. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. 
Yeah, the CBC reported that Liberal MPs were requested not to to speak about this, um, to remain tight-lipped, uh, so that this could sort of disappear from the headlines. But of course, in 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 making that sort of um, request, uh, they again are filling that silence with the the propaganda, the the, the sort of spin um, that uh, targets Russia that that has uh, like emerged from this, this sort of like weird Nazi apologism stuff. And I, I think that that's interesting as well. Like it's in something to keep our eyes on because it means that they really do want to centrally control the way that the story moves on this, that, that it, this isn't like happening by accident. This is like a coordinated um, idea of how uh, the liberals can, uh, come out of survive um, a scandal such as this, a gaffe such as this. Mm. Like this is such a big gaffe but, uh, that I don't know if you've been thinking about this, um, but I certainly have been imagining like Trudeau reacting to it all and Freeland reacting to it all. Like they must have been raging. <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> you know, like screaming in a pillow level, fucking raging over this spinning out the way that it did. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I can imagine Christian Freeland doing that, but for some reason, I can't imagine Trudeau. I think that he would have been enraged about his his own profile more than like the situation itself, to be honest. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I think that uh, in all of this, it has been interesting to see them control that message and want this to go away. And I, I want to mention one aspect of this that we haven't talked about in a second, but um, I want to drop right now what my prediction, my new prediction for the next leader of the Liberal Party uh, based on this and how uh, this individual is interacting with Pierre Polyever. Do you want to hear what it is? Oh, uh, Yes. All right. He's had his hands clean, pretty clean in this whole um, thing. And it's Mark Miller, who's a Montreal based MP and childhood friend of Justin Trudeau. And I am wondering if they're tapping him to replace Trudeau as leader. Huh. And what are the interactions that you are seeing that leads you to that conclusion? Well, he keeps like insulting Polyever openly on, on Twitter. And the most recent was uh, this past weekend, Polyever was at the Truth and Reconciliation Day um, ceremony at Parliament Hill. He's photographed with Inuit leadership and in the tweet says, like, thank you to the Algonquin leadership who made this day happen or something. Uh, and Miller was instantly on that being like, those people are Inuit. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, whoa, OK. <laughs> um, but, I, I, you know, you mentioning the silence that is coming out uh, from from the members of uh, of the Liberal caucus. And I think that watching what Mark Miller does is a good example of seeing where they can push a little bit, uh, be a little bit more cheeky in relation to Polyever. That's not the only interaction. There's been several others um, while also really trying to have a tight ship on this. Um, because as John Paul Hinka said in this talk, like this is embarrassing, but it's also like not surprising because no one has gotten their shit in order dealing with the Nazis that came into Canada, the the public roles that they take, that they took, and and the the the, the looseness with which people have been approaching the, this whole history. Yeah, and it, it also like it doesn't it kind of put into perspective like the 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 way that like Canada 
uh, doesn't really give a shit about any of the white supremacist organizing or any of the uh, like like how there is no national plan to deal with this as it gets worse and worse. It certainly does put that into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like um, to to have fucked up this badly, you know, like um, the prime minister's office has said, that um, they never saw the list, but the the House of Commons Protocol Office saw the list, and that's who vetted and blah 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 blah. It's like um, the Canada's history in uh, and uh, you know confronting the history of uh, support for people who were uh, Nazis coming to this country, um, the the failure of um, uh, in you know reconciling that history or even like acknowledging it. Uh, whatsoever is directly linked to how we refuse to uh, take a look of at what may be very well may be some of the implications of that history, um, uh, if not just you know what is happening today in terms of uh, uh, white supremacists being able to organize in Canada without much uh, without much uh, a struggle or um, response obstacles being put in their way and and no one seeming to want to to actually do something real at a government policy level uh to to strategize about this happening and not mm. only not wanting to but and now um you know making it uh <laughs> somehow uh mainstream like assisting in making it mainstream um mm. to be af- affiliated with nazism Totally. So, you know, Polly Ever has used this in a very predictable way. Uh, they've completely washed their hands. The fact that they've jumped to their feet and applauded. Of course, the conservatives can spin that actually very positively to some of their base that they're applauding a Nazi. Sandy, where where in the hell is the NDP? Where's the NDP? Uh, well, Nora, it's been it's been a little quiet. <laughs> I know that Jagmeet put out a statement, but you know, the NDP hasn't done enough, uh, in, in my estimation, uh, to talk about this in the way that it should be discussed, like to, to sort of, uh, discuss like what the broader implications are, what this really is about, how, uh, the war machine is tied up into this and what the dangers of making these sorts of linkages are. And I mean, and that's the role, you know, for a party such as theirs. But I suppose they're propping up the liberals on every front um, right now, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, um, a really good example of how the NDP is uh, less than useless. I mean, I mean, they're they're less than useless because they are literally, as you say, propping up the liberals. So. You know, the conservatives know very well, again, that ignorance with their base is no problem, that celebrating a Nazi is like bad, but they can justify it because they were just celebrating the troops. And again, if you listen to how Anthony Rota introduced the guy, it was like the two standing ovations were because he was uh, he has supported the troops until he's 98 years old and people jump to their feet. Like, regardless of who they're supporting, the conservatives can navigate that very easily. The NDP, this is where, like, the, the, the moral bankruptcy, vacancy, lack of fucking substance is just on such full display. I've certainly seen Nikki Ashton liking a lot of great tweets. I haven't looked at what she's actually tweeted herself. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Nikki is not an example of what's going on in the caucus. And I think the fact that if if Trudeau told his um, MPs to be quiet, I wonder if the NDP took that as a bit of a message as well. And we're just like, yeah, you know what, like, let's we, we can't win with this because they have to at both times admit that their caucus is so ignorant that they didn't know what the presentation of the individual meant, uh, which is um, not justifiable for a, 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 a so-called social democratic party. Um, but also, like, again, we're talking about Nazism and fascism. And if the NDP is unclear about their, like, space in this discussion and debate, like, oh, my God, <laughs> that seems that seems really, really bad. Well, actually, I found the quote. Uh, well, actually, like, it seems like the NDP does have a... Um a, a consistent message around this. Like I've seen a few quotes by uh, a couple of MPs and it seems like that what they have strategized is to say, you know, Anthony Rota, good, good person. Like, okay. Necessary to say that. Good, good human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love, love the work, uh, you know, love, love the history of work, but unfortunately this is really, really bad and um, and should result in a resignation. That's what the NDP was saying. Uh, pre-resignation, and I haven't seen anything else really beyond that, which is just, again, like the, the implications of what's happened is beyond like an individual error. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in yeah. fact not an individual error. You were all standing in the house. <laughs> you, were all, you were all applauding. You were all part of it. Um, you were, you're all part of um, supporting uh, the war machine that's happening right now. And the, the implications, the spin that the governing party is putting on this is, you know, like it's bigger than just one guy's, one really great guy's error. You know? <laughs> like that's, that is in and of itself a, a retelling of history that is just not true. And so like, what, what does it say that you're ignoring like all the bigger pieces of this and how it? Uh, how it impacts average people uh, in Canada, how it impacts the support for the war machine that continues to be a way that the government is making decisions about um, the way that it's going to spend the budget that is not supporting people who desperately need, read it, need it right now. Like, I mean, there's ways that you, the NDP folks who are listening, could tie this to um, exactly what's going on that is, you know, that uh, that is affecting every uh, people's lives every day, and can tie this to principles. That would mm, allow what, what people to see what's really <laughs> allow people to see what's really happening and how it's tied to so many different things. And so it's really fucking disappointing and unacceptable that as the the party that you are and what you're supposed to be, that you're not doing that. Like that's what we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially like you know, here we have. Um, we have an example of Nazism on full display, and it gives. It gives especially left wing people and I know people are going to say the NDP is not left wing, but like, come on, you know, in the, in the political system, they are <laughs> like, I wouldn't say that they are, but they are left of the liberals and the conservatives. Um, here we have, uh, you know, rising hatred in various ways. Uh, you've got the, the Manitoba government uh, and, and them using racism to try and get elected. And of course, the NDP is about to benefit from that by winning, hopefully. Um, but then you also have uh, Scott Moe directly attracting, directly attacking trans children. And the way that Jagmeet Singh responds to that is to talk about 
um, Saskatchewan's child poverty rate rather than very clearly and specifically speaking about protecting trans children. It's like it's all politics. And in that situation, you can see that Singh was probably shadow boxing the Manitoba election because he wants people to think about Heather Stephenson and Indigenous child poverty in the province of Manitoba while he's talking about the premier of Saskatchewan. Enough of this like idiotic politicking, enough of playing these games. And, you know, the fact that the fact that the NDP didn't join the conservatives in calling for the resignation of the prime minister, I think just shows uh, how how absent their political lenses entirely. And I mean, calling for Trudeau's resignation would have been is it's a stunt for sure. It's not 100 percent his fault, but he's the prime minister. I mean, at the end of the day, ultimate responsibility responsibility rests with him. Um, it's not his fault that the speaker invited somebody because the speaker's got the privilege to do that. But again, it's a prime minister Canada. And it was incredibly embarrassing, grossly embarrassing. You know, I've seen some columns, I think Don Martin saying that this is potentially the beginning of the fall of Trudeau. I think we can go further back to see where the fall of Trudeau started. And for the NDP to not be in there and demanding things at all, Freeland, Freeland should be resigning for sure. She absolutely knew who he was. She absolutely knows the politics and she jumped to her feet, applauding faster than anyone else. So, I mean, there are resignations that could have been and should have been asked for, even if they were just done politically. And the NDP is nowhere all to protect this ridiculous handcuff agreement that's just going to keep us having a government in power until 2025. And this was gloves off politics and the NDP failed colossally. The liberals failed colossally. And the only party that knew exactly how to play to its base and get out of this what they wanted to was the conservatives. So it's like, mm, that's not good. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, you know.